G'day and welcome to episode 22 of The Other Side Australia, your weekly summary of the news and commentary of the week from a sensible centre-right perspective. Coming to you on the discernible platform, all the usual podcast platforms and the Good Source channel. This week, what they're not telling you about the COVID research. Craig Kelly cops a walloping from the Prime Minister and a Channel 9 TV princess. I'm not sure which was worse for him. The left are all in a flap about their ABC actually needing to be accountable to the taxpayers, heaven forbid. And America's lefty darling AOC disgraces herself in a drama queen video about her traumatic experience in Washington during the January 6 protests. Lots of laughs in today's show, so let's go. Before we get to the laughs, a very, very serious story first up with news that Australian journalist Chung Lei has been formally arrested by Chinese authorities. The University of Queensland graduate has already spent six months in detention with no access to her lawyer on the trumped-up charge of sharing state secrets overseas. The beauty of an Australian education is not about what is taught, but more about what it doesn't teach. It doesn't teach you to just follow orders. It allows you that freedom to think for yourself. That's former China Global TV Network news presenter Chung Lei speaking to the ABC a couple of years ago. The charges against her are all absolute garbage, of course. Remember this the next time a left-leaning person tells you how big government is good, socialism is good, and you should trust the government to do the right thing. Socialism won't become communism and then become totalitarianism. That never happens. She can't even have video contact with her 11-year-old daughter and 9-year-old son, who are being cared for by their grandmother in Melbourne. Lay's niece, Louisa Wen, told ABC's 7.30 report this week about the pressure that the family's experiencing. Lay is a single mum with an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old. Um, currently, they're living in Melbourne with grandma. Grandma is uh, mid-70s. Um, and looking after the two by herself, especially over the COVID period last year. So it hasn't exactly been very easy on her. The two kids are wonderful though. They're very fun-loving and humorous, a bit like their mum. It's been quite hard. Every time we um, do something really fun, we're thinking of her and, and thinking sort of, oh, she can't enjoy these things with us. Liberal Party power broker Michael Kroger told Sky News' Andrew Bolt that any Australian who's ever criticised China should now be very wary of going there. But this is just another example of the clash of civilizations, isn't it? As, as China emerges into the developing world, into the first world, um, there is this enormous disharmony between the nonsense and bulldust that its spokesmen and women attempt to portray with straight faces and you know, expect people in the West to believe this drivel about us respecting their processes. This is a government where 99% of people charged are found guilty. It's a di dictatorial, repressive communist regime. It's one of the last and worst communist regimes in the world and uh, they should be given no respect at all on issues like this. There's absolutely nothing Australia can do about this, of course. We're too weak. And China and its craziest president since Chairman Mao, Xi Jinping, knows it. Former Labor Senator and Communications Minister Stephen Conroy told Sky News that the implications of all this 
are far-reaching. It is a chilling message when it comes to issues around Hong Kong, when it comes to issues around free trade, uh, and when it comes to issues around Taiwan. Uh, I mean, the Chinese are sending a very, very straightforward message. Just shut up and mind your own business. We intend to conduct ourselves any way we want. Mm. And there's bigger issues, and I don't say that in any way denigrating the, the tragedy of one of our citizens now being held uh, in China, but there are some very significant macro issues on the table right now and potentially on the table that the Chinese are engaged in. And this is just another little message to the rest of the world from China. That's former Labor government minister Stephen Conroy on Sky News this week. So you may have heard about the drug Invermectin, a $2 treatment for head lice that's being investigated as part of a possible treatment regime for COVID-19. A trial conducted on 24 early-stage COVID patients in Spain and published two weeks ago in the highly respected medical journal The Lancet showed there wasn't significant success with Invermectin. But there were some positive signs that, quote, warrant assessment in larger trials. That study, the link to it, is down below in our program notes for you. Well, there's a group of physicians in America called Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance, the FLCCC Alliance. They're not in the medical mainstream, but the Alliance's co-leader, Dr. Paul Marrick, is Chief of Lung and Critical Care Medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical. These doctors maintain that Invermectin has antiviral and anti-inflammatory properties that do make it useful as a preventative medicine and in treating early stage and late stage COVID-19 illness. A senior researcher in the pharmacology department at Liverpool University in England, Dr. Andrew Hill, recently presented a similar analysis of all the best quality data available on the Invermectin trials for COVID, and he found similar results. A link to a video presentation by Dr. Hill on his study is in the notes for this week's show. It's very technical, but here's just about a minute of it for you. So far in this meta-analysis of 18 randomized trials, so far we're seeing uh, associations with viral clearance, duration of hospitalization, rates of clinical recovery, and a 75% improvement in survival rates. And we're seeing these effects uh, for viral clearance to be higher for higher doses and for longer durations of treatment. Now, before we get too carried away, we just need to remember that this, this database at the moment may not be large enough or robust enough to Im allow immediate regulatory approval. Uh, we, we share these results with the National Institutes of Health in the United States, and their, their impression was that this is all data based on preprints, on uh, personal communication with investigators, and really they need to see more documentation. They need to see the actual databases, the protocols, all the patient data at an individual level to be absolutely sure. So to be clear, none of this means Invermectin works as some kind of cure for COVID-19. It only means that we should be urgently doing more studies on it and taking it seriously. And we should be able to discuss it, but not in Australia, where the Labor Party wrote to Facebook urging it to monitor government MP Craig Kelly's page for harmful content, demanding, quote, 
appropriate action to protect public health. You see, in Labor's eyes and the eyes of Australia's bureaucratic elite, you, the little people, need to be protected from debate about science. You're not smart enough to make your own minds up and analyse all the data. You can't be exposed to what the doctors are doing. You need to be protected by the nanny state, them. In case you missed it, Scott Morrison started getting all antsy with Craig Kelly after he signalled he might not get the COVID vaccine. Morrison was particularly annoyed that Mr Kelly confronted the Labor frontbencher Tanya Plibersek while she was holding a press conference at Parliament House this week. Are you making any big announcements? Yes, I'm actually... I'm actually telling them that the PMS students stop you spreading these crazy conspiracy theories. Did you hear about Professor Clancy? You've got to listen to our most senior immunologist, Tanya. It's Professor Robert Clancy. Listen to him. Go and get his stuff. Read what he's saying and you'll find my, out. And then you can come and apologise to us. Uh, okay? My, my, my mum lives in your electorate and I don't okay. want her exposed to people well, who are not well, going to be well, listen, vaccinated listen to because of these crazy conspiracy well, theories yeah. that you're spreading. Well, you're the one doing that because you are the one spreading misinformation. Right? You've got to listen to, listen to the professors, listen to our most senior immunologists. So, so says, your Prime Minister is says, wrong, is he? Our Prime Minister is 100% right. He agrees with I'm you. Saying you Scott, are Morrison, Scott listen, Morrison agrees listen, with you, does he, Craig? Listen to, I'm not going to, my Prime Minister will speak for himself. Listen to the words of our most senior immunologist. Today, yeah. in the Sydney Morning Herald, I'll, I'll he, has said, he has said, he has said, our health advisor has to be our most senior credentialed immunologist, Professor Robert Clancy, and he has said, Sydney Morning Herald today, Craig Kelly is absolutely right. Does the Prime Minister agree with I, you? I, well, I don't know. You have to ask the Prime Minister. But I know. Does he support I think, you I think, spreading I think, this stuff? Well, I'm not spreading anything. You are the people in the Labor Party that are spreading smear and slime and innuendo. Well, we, it has to stop. It has to stop. So Labor ran with the line that the government is conducting a public information campaign about the vaccine rollout that's going to cost lots of money. And therefore, nobody, nobody in the government, not one single MP, is allowed to not 100% toe the party line. Instead of pointing out how ridiculously childish that kind of thinking is and telling Labor that on the liberal side of politics they tolerate some debate and treat the public as having enough brains to make up its own minds, Mr Morrison bought into Labor's framing of the debate and went along with it, calling Kelly to his office like a headmaster for a naughty schoolboy style dressing down. In the US and the UK, politicians from the same side disagree publicly all the time. It'd be seen as odd if they didn't. When are we in Australia going to grow up? Our media kiddies are like, oh, ah, they disagree on something and they're from the same team. Oh, it's pathetic. No two politicians agree on everything. It's impossible. Nor should they. They align by broad ideology to a party. And after that, on an issue by issue basis, they're going to be significant differences. That's healthy for a democracy. After all, one MP's constituents are not the same as another MP's constituents. They might have to serve totally different thinking people. Well, the social media police stepped in at the behest of Labor's shadow health spokesman. Craig Kelly copped a warning from Facebook about his claims regarding Invermectin. Kelly says he got a phone call from Facebook requesting that he remove a post that contained comments made by Australia's professor Tom Borody about Invermectin. If Kelly refused, Facebook said he would have restrictions placed on his account. So he took the post down under protest and declared that the world had entered a very dark time in human history when scientific debate and freedom of speech is being suppressed.
The immunologist Robert Clancy is an emeritus professor from the University of Newcastle, Australia. That's the expert that Kelly was trying to explain to Tanya Plibersek was the main source for his comments. So ABC Radio Newcastle interviewed Professor Clancy this week and he backed Mr Kelly. On, on that issue, and you know, there are many issues that uh, uh, Mr Kelly has that I, I don't understand, but on that issue, um, my view is he's absolutely right, that the, there's overwhelming evidence that um, hydroxychloroquine uh, works. Um, the studies now are just under 20,000 patients, and these are not counting the country studies, because many countries are using these uh, across the board. Um, and, but, but the important thing is that it's used in very early disease. It's like treating any uh, viral illness. As I understand it, uh, Mr Kelly has, has actually followed a lot of the literature, uh, and, and I think he understands that, because um, when he says that hydroxychloroquine has a place in early treatment, um, I would think there are many people around the world, very, very senior people across the world, uh, that would totally agree with that. And then I think his other drug is ivermectin, and that's a drug that came in a little later. And it missed the, the, the political turmoil that hydroxychloroquine got tied up with when uh, Trump used it. Uh, and, and, so, and that's been gaining ground, and the recent data that's coming out for that is it's really very persuasive, and many countries now are picking this up. And that was Professor Robert Clancy, the immunologist referenced by MP Craig Kelly. He's an emeritus professor of the University of Newcastle. Science is complex. It evolves. It is not always black and white. But for the Labour lovies in Australia now, it seems that we cannot even debate or discuss science anymore. The science is settled. I mean, science always agrees 100% on everything. When in history has scientific consensus ever been found to be wrong? We have to go with the best science that we have at any given moment in time. And that's why a study on Invermectin, and yes, more studies on hydroxychloroquine and all of the vaccines are so necessary. So please, dear politicians and government officials, could you kindly stop treating Australians like we're all children? Thank you. Speaking of children, commercial television. On commercial television this week, we got this. Well, he's, quote, a dangerous fool and a threat to the COVID response of the nation. Those are just some of the scathing reviews of federal member for Hughes, Craig Kelly, over his unfounded and inaccurate comments on the coronavirus. Did you catch that? Unfounded and inaccurate. That's from Dr Ali Langdon. Oh, hang on. She's not a doctor. She's a TV presenter. Sorry. Host of a thing called The Today Show. So she's obviously an authority on immunology. Carry on, chaps. Gee, I tell you what, you're fighting with everyone at the moment. I hear you just had a Barney with Tanya Plibersek in the press gallery. Is that true? Look, I've been very disappointed about the Labor Party uh, making this a, uh, a partisan issue uh, and attacking me and, and smearing me and slandering me and actually misrepresenting uh, what I say. Well, all, so I've been, all I've been done is uh, uh, posting uh, peer-reviewed articles, uh, the opinions of expert professors and medical uh, experts from around the world. Um, uh, the idea that I've somehow been you know, posting misinformation is absolutely misinformation uh, itself. That's not true, Craig. I mean, I spent time online mm. last night and yes. have managed to debunk every one of your theories. They're not peer-reviewed. They're not peer-reviewed. I, I, I don't, don't even want to get into this because, well, I mean, you're the only person saying this. We've got no, to listen to our doctors. Incorrect. 
and our scientists. <coughs> Don't yes, you exactly need to pull your head in? Right. Well, yes. Who do you think you are, Mr Kelly? An elected member of parliament quoting valid scientists and research or something? This is Professor Alison Langdon you're speaking with here. And she doesn't want to get into the details. Because details are hard. She's happy to just believe what the experts and bureaucrats say. And that is her right. No problem. But we're also not allowed to challenge those experts, apparently, because that might make our brains hurt. Heaven forbid we should be able to hold two conflicting ideas in our brains at once. But do carry on, Alison. If you only pick up today's papers, the Sydney Morning Herald, Australia's most senior immunologist, Emeritus Professor Robert Clancy, someone that was actually awarded an Order of Australia for his services to immunology and medicine. He has said, and I quote, Craig Kelly is absolutely right. Now, that's our most senior immunologist. So the idea that uh, I'm, um, I completely and utterly reject the idea that uh, I'm out there putting any theories forward. I'm not putting any theories forward at all. Now, yes, some of the studies that I've posted are still undergoing peer review, but many of them have actually been through the peer review process. In fact, I would say the majority of the studies that I've posted have been through the peer review process. And Look, just because I'm something sorry, is that yesterday... is just not true, Craig. I well, mean, one is. of the I'm studies sorry, you sorry, quote, it's, it's a That's Bangladeshi right. plastic surgeon. I guess Bangladeshi plastic surgeons aren't doctors. Ali will be apologising to the Bangladeshi community and all plastic surgeons now, no doubt, after that double slur. Talk about cherry-picking Kelly's quotes. And I apologise to our podcast listeners who can't enjoy the look on Carl Stefanovic's face. It's absolute gold. Continue. I would like to take my medical advice from someone who is a knowledgeable in infectious diseases, is an epidemiologist. Well, that's right. Well, you should it's listen one in that example case. In that case, you should you've... listen to Professor Robert Clancy. He's our most senior credentialed immunologist in this country. So that's who I believe we should be listening to. Look, and he has, he has said, and I can, I'll quote exactly what he's wrote. You've, just, you've already quoted it, Craig. Well, no, I haven't. I, he also said, I love, this is very important. He said, from uncertain beginnings, an impressive database has more recently been accumulated that strongly supports the use of hydroxychloroquine and or ivermectin. Their use in concert with the vaccine, so this is not an anti-vax position, you know, when I, their use in concert with the vaccines can no longer be denied. In fact, this is the only science-based opinion. Now, they're not my Ivermectin, words. That's not, Kelly, that's not my, that's Kelly, not, that's not my words. That's that not my theory. That study you're referring that, to. That is, no, not, Listen, no, that study I'm, you're referring, referring to, to because no, this is important. I'm not referring to any study. You are misrepresenting what I'm saying. What what, I'm, what no, I just no, no, quoted I've, there, I did my research, Craig, as you asked us to do. You need to listen for a moment. But hang on, let me Ivermectin is a wonderful drug. You are right. If you have scabies... Or oh, look, you, you obviously haven't read. I'm sorry, you are not listening to our. You've got to listen to the science. You've got to listen to. Are our you most a scientist? Are you a scientist, Craig? I'm no, not. I am listen, I'm not. I have, I have just quoted the senior immunologist in this country, the most highest credentialed immunologist in this country. Now, are you saying that he's wrong? I'm saying the chief no, medical no, officer. No, every well, global saying, medical saying, body in the world no, has rejected the use of those. I'm sorry, that drugs, is incorrect. Craig. That is incorrect. But you know that what? Is, I actually didn't want to get incorrect. you on here You've got to determine India, whether or not like what you're India, saying is true or not. Bo- but, but you are, I'm sorry, with greatest respect, uh, you are making false statements that you are accusing me of. And I have a right to defend You them. know what? Freedom of speech is one thing, world, Craig. You said that everybody in the world, every, and that is simply untrue. The medical bodies in India use ivermectin, they have it in their standard protocol. 
Craig. I've seen a study recently published, a peer-reviewed study in the American Journal of Medicine that has a treatment protocol that includes both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. So to say that there's no medical body in the world that approves this, I'm sorry, is incorrect. He's right. It's disputed, but he's right. And sometimes you have to stand up and fight, just like Craig Kelly did. Langdon didn't back down because she was wrong, however. Like all good 21st century TV hosts, she kept right on going, saying she'd conducted her research, which she clearly hadn't done, if she's missing the studies that it took me less than an hour to find, and which I just shared with you. The consensus does not support those studies, but they are real studies and they are valid in the mix of the scientific debate. Instead of a balanced objective approach, Ms. Langdon did what so many left-wingers do when they're losing an argument. They go for the emotional win and play the man instead of the ball. Craig, we have seen deaths from COVID. We've seen sickness. Mm -hmm. We've seen mass job losses. Hundreds of billions of dollars spent in government stimulus. Mm -hmm. All our hopes are riding on a vaccine. You need to be quiet. Well, if you don't want to listen to our most senior qualified I am listening to them country. and I think well, you need well, to not. start listening you to just, our scientists you just said, you and just our said, doctors. Well, Craig. Our, most, our scientist is our most senior qualified immunologist in this country, okay, Professor Craig. Robert Clancy, and you are not listening to him. I'm sorry. No worries, Craig. You're in a position of responsibility and I think you're failing in that and duty. I'll continue, I'll continue to speak the truth and tell the truth. It'd be nice if you started, that If the media want to misrepresent my position, I'm going to come on and I'm going to defend it because I will not have slander and smear and said against me when the facts are incorrect. Okay, Craig. Thanks for your time today. Carl's got that look on his face that my wife gets when I'm having a go at someone and and she doesn't quite agree totally with me. It's priceless. It's been one of those mornings, hasn't it? (laughs) It's been a Um, bit of a... Let us know what you think at home about all of that. Um, Mm. It's fascinating stuff. Hmm, fascinating stuff there. Carl goes all Mike Moore on us. <laughs> Until then, have a great weekend. Well, this week our friends at the far left-wing lobby group Get Up have been hammering our youngsters with emails and social media posts about an evil right-wing plot to destroy the ABC. They've even made a little propaganda video. The ABC is in crisis. After successive budget reductions to the ABC. It's at the bone. There's no more fat to cut. 400 staff have lost their jobs. 250 jobs will be out. Everything the ABC broadcast will be squeezed for cost savings. It's a crisis, not of the market, but of the government's own making. We're just down to the bone. ABC doesn't just report the news. It also saves lives. There was the ABC and we thought we are safe. I can't imagine my family without ABC exists. I can't imagine. I'm terrified. The evil right-wing monsters are coming to take away our little free media playpen. Let me assure you, get up. There is no evil right-wing plot to destroy the ABC. The right just want the ABC to go fund itself. It's no different to the recent UK campaign against the BBC, and there's nothing dark, sinister, evil, or covert about it. We're totally open about it. The ABC is a vehicle for left-wing propaganda. It's been failing in its obligation to provide neutral and fair and balanced coverage. And secondly, it's 2021. We have the internet now. We don't need an ABC that's the size that it currently is anymore. 
But to the left wing of Australia who love the ABC, there's no other side to this debate. There's no place for right wing, free market, pro-capitalism views in Australia. To the left, these views aren't just a different way to view economics and politics. They're an assumed evil. It's Murdoch and Morrison, so it's automatically bad and it must be wiped out. The most prominent campaigner against the ABC arguably is the IPA, which is right-wing think tank set up in the, the mid-1940s. They campaign on issues like small government. What would the public sector look like if the IPA had its own way? It would be much smaller. Ending red tape. Red tape is a really significant problem in Australia. Oh my God, not small government and less red tape. How dare they? Those right-wing nutjobs. And they've waged a campaign they should, you know, we should sell off the ABC. I think the case for privatising the ABC is getting stronger every year and will continue to. We know that Big Coal is in there, uh, a major supporter, big oil, big tobacco, and also many, many conservative politicians. Parliamentary colleagues, there are many of them here. That is a major worry uh, in terms of the policies that the IPA are advocating. Oh my God, this is an outrage. Conservative politicians are sprouting conservative views. Right-wing economic thinkers are proposing right-wing economic concepts. How deceptive, how sneaky. Honestly, this documentary, as GetUp likes to call it, is a joke, and I'm not going to give it any more airtime here. But you should know that they are very manipulative in the way that they sell it to your kids. To quote GetUp's promo emails and social media posts, the Murdoch Press and Morrison government are gunning for the ABC. This is the film they don't want you to see. Gunning for the ABC? If that's what you call campaigning to have the ABC scale back to bare essentials, then yes, we're on the right, we on the right are campaigning heavily for that. I'm sorry, but some of us see no reason why we need a public broadcaster with a budget of $1.2 billion a year being government funded, especially when that government broadcaster is actively seeking to shape the Australian culture rather than merely reflect it. It insists on driving one ideological premise, the postmodernism, identity politics, critical theory, anti-capitalism, neo-Marxism, whatever you want to call it, that that way of viewing the world is the right way and the only way. That's the underlying culture underpinning all ABC coverage. Now you can have those views. It's a free country mostly. And while the left are not in total control, we still have free speech. So you're welcome to sprout Marxism all you like. Set up your own podcast like the rest of us. Start your own newspaper like Rupert. But you're not entitled to $1.2 billion of other people's money to do it with. Half of this country don't agree with you. They don't like you. They don't watch or listen. And they don't get value from their forced contribution to your little media playpen. We also had the former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd issue a video of his own this week to decry Rupert Murdoch. Take a listen to this one. By the time Trump announced his presidential campaign, conservative voters had already been indoctrinated into a universe of alternative facts and elaborate conspiracy theories. Saying it's a falsehood, and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts. Trump, of course, added to all this. But Murdoch's Fox News legitimized it, amplified it, and turbocharged it night after night after night. And Murdoch's motive, it was all designed to accommodate Murdoch's hard right business and ideological interests, 
driven by a combination of tax minimisation, negligible business regulation and climate change denial. All three, of course, to be delivered by the far-right governments of Murdoch's personal choice. Oh, sorry, is he done? Oh, right. Uh, yes, the uh, inspiring visionary leader of happiness, multimillionaire socialist Kevin Rudd there. Did you notice something? The key messages were the same as in the Get Up video. And Murdoch's motive? It was all designed to accommodate Murdoch's hard-right business and ideological interests, driven by a combination of tax minimisation, negligible business regulation and climate change denial. Did you catch that? Tax minimisation, less business regulation and climate change denial. The holy trinity of the left's new mantra about the evils of the right. How dare the right or anyone believe that lower taxes and less red tape are a good thing? Outrageous. This will take power away from the bureaucracy and people like Kevin. It'll take power away from big government. One more time from Get Up. They campaign on issues like small government. What would the public sector look like if the IPA had its own way? It would be much smaller. Ending red tape. Red tape is a really significant problem in Australia. They think coal is uh, hard done by. Well, the only reason we don't have coal plants being built is because uh, 10 years worth of climate rubbish. The Holy Trinity key message from Labor and Get Up. I have a feeling we'll be hearing a lot more of it this year. I believe it's wrong to have a national broadcaster that does much more than emergency service reports, reports for the country, broadcasts parliament, and covers national and international news as impartially as possible. One TV station and one radio station would do it. 50 million bucks, not 1,200 million. The reason I believe in an essentials-only ABC is that it's impossible not to have bias. Every workplace develops a culture. There's no way any of my right-wing friends would get jobs at the ABC, no matter how good they might be as writers, journalists or broadcasters. And if they did get a job there, they'd last about five seconds before the place spat them out or sidelined them. And this is core to what free market liberalism is really all about. People vote with their choices every day, a million times a day, in the free market. And that determines what gets produced and funded by investors and business people and workers, and what doesn't get funded. That determines the price of things, what people are prepared to pay. But the ABC is immune to that free market. Basically, we have one group of elites who share one way of viewing the world, or very close to it, being given a billion dollar windfall to have their own massive media empire to play with. And what's worse is everyone else has to compete with it. And it's commercial free, which means that even that competition isn't fair. Where's the ACCC when you really need it? So the ABC has an impact on the media market. It doesn't just get to decide what it produces. It actually prevents other stuff getting produced because of its market power. See, Rupert Murdoch actually had to compete to get his ideas out there. He had to get people to buy his papers. He had to earn the influence that he has. And we're all free to stop paying Rupert at any time. But we don't. Why? Because we like what he's selling. We like Sky News and the telly and the Australian. But if you don't like the ABC, tough luck. you still got to pay for it. Tell me, please, get up. How is that actually fair? How is it ethical? And how is it moral? I'm not worried about Murdoch and Morrison against the ABC. I'm worried about a businessman who had to meet his audience's needs every single day to build his business 
and a prime minister who had to go out there and get democratically elected being told that they've got no right to have a view about the ABC and about big government. And I'm worried about never hearing a voice in favour of small government and lower taxes and other liberal principles ever again because the ABC has total control over the national psyche. So let's have a minimal essential information service for a national broadcaster and leave the rest to the people to decide in a free market whether they want to pay for it or not. You know, liberalism is pretty easy to understand. Less government, minimal regulation, get out of our lives and leave us alone. Enforce the laws, but make fewer of them and get rid of some too. Provide a basic safety net for people who need it, support the aged and the disabled, and protect us from foreign invaders. It's not difficult. But no, there's always some busybody in the public sector that wants to tell you how to do every little thing and regulate you to the point where you just want to give up. Australia is in trouble, folks. I had a friend tell me the other day, a CEO of a big listed company, that it's 25% more expensive to run her business in Australia than in America, where they also have offices. And America, compared to most of Asia, has a lot of red tape. Now, you might think, tough luck. But that means fewer jobs and lower national productivity, which means we can't compete internationally, which means we get weaker while they get stronger. My favorite social and economic thinker, as you may know, is Professor Thomas Sowell. I stumbled across some of Professor Sowell's older interviews last week when he was a younger academic, in which he outlines some of his most fundamental ideas most clearly. So for today's liberalism education segment, I thought we'd take a listen. Here's Professor Thomas Sowell of the Hoover Institute at Stanford University, speaking back in 1995 to the American Enterprise Institute's TV show Think Tank with Ben Wattenberg. Now, this was 26 years ago. What he was saying then was well ahead of the curve. He speaks of the vision of the anointed, meaning the elites in government and media who think they understand everything so much better than the rest of us. Tom Sowell, why don't you start out and tell us what the vision of the anointed is about? What is it? Well, it's one, a vision that the problems that we see in the world are due to the fact that other people are just not as bright or as compassionate as they are. Uh, and that there are all these solutions out there waiting to be discovered and that they have them. And that these solutions that are being imposed upon the rest of us uh, by, by the power of government through taxation or in other ways. Uh, and what's really crucial about it is that their passion is so, so much greater than the passion on the other side, largely because what they have involved is more. Who is the they? Oh, the, 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 um, the media elite, the uh, academic elite, political elites. And, I, and the reason we can talk about their vision, even though they obviously vary in their opinions, uh, is that the basic set of underlying assumptions about the world are very similar. Um, and because these assumptions are the prevailing assumptions, uh, the need to find evidence for them or to offer proof is much less. If something, ha if something happens, they'll explain it in a way which will fit that vision. For example, uh, when they find that um, prenatal care is less among blacks than among whites and that um, infant mortality rates are higher, uh, they immediately assume this is because of society's neglect, and therefore if only the government will step in and provide more prenatal care, that, that problem solves itself. But in reality, uh, other groups have even less prenatal care than blacks and don't have any more infant mortality than whites. Uh, but 
they don't ever get to that second stage because once they've seen something that fits their conception of how the world works, that's sort of the end of it. Uh, let, let me go back to that idea of who the they is. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, in, in your cosmology, are these liberals? Is that what they are? Yes. Uh, you got the New York Times, the Washington Post, Harvard, Stanford, uh, you know, the Edward Kennedys, the, uh, all the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. uh, let me... Uh, but it's more than those particular people because no, this I'm mindset goes back at least 200 years. Who does it start with? What is I don't know where it starts, but okay. you, you can find it in the 18th century. You, if you read uh, William Godwin, uh, Inquiry Concerning Political Justice in 1793, you have the whole vision laid out just as it was in the 1960s. But the 1960s were a crucial point because that's when this vision became dominant. This sort of arrogant vision that we know best. Oh, yes. And, and don't even have to subject it to normal forms of proof. Oh, absolutely not. You have in, in your book sort of a, a series toward the beginning of how the actual process works of forming one of these ideas and yes. selling it and rejecting the proof. Maybe you could just kind of yes. march it through this there, as, a, a as a model of it. All right, there's a four-stage uh, uh, um, pattern. And in the first stage is what, what's what I call the crisis. And so we're hyped to believe that something is a terrible crisis for which something must be done. Uh, and uh, what, was, what was fascinating to me in doing the research for the book is that very often the thing that's said to be in crisis has often been getting better for years on end, but that gets ignored. Then the second stage for, is... For example, infant mortality, to, to use one of the Well, uh, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about um, um, uh, preg uh, teenage pregnancy and, and venereal disease. Uh, those things were getting better. Teenage pregnancy was going down for more than a decade before sex education was introduced. Venereal disease, uh, syphilis in 1960s, uh, was only ha had only half the incidence that it had in 1950. So all these things are going down, yet, yet we're said to need sex education to deal with this crisis, which is then manufactured. And again, this is where the calculated part comes in. Now, 99% of the people who hear this don't, un don't know that. And, but, but the reason they accept it is because they also share the same vision. And because this is consonant with that vision, they don't have to ask for evidence. All right, so what's, what's stage two? That, that stage two is the, the, the first one is there's a crisis. Yes. They establish a crisis, usually an artificial one. Yes. Okay. Uh, then, then, then stage two is the solution. You have a solution for this crisis. In this case, you have sex education in the schools. And then uh, at that point, you say, if, if we do this, this will lead to beneficial result A. The critics say, no, it'll lead to detrimental result Z. Stage three, you put it in the results, you put it in and directly you find detrimental result Z, namely venereal disease and teenage pregnancy take off into the stratosphere. And then stage four is the fascinating part in which they simply say, no, that doesn't prove that this was a bad policy because there are many factors. There's complexity. It's simplistic to blame it on this. But they run through this routine on so many different things, including crime. Similarly, they said, you know, in 1960, uh, Judge Bazelon said we just desperately need to have some kind of change in the criminal justice system. Now, in 1960, uh, there were fewer murders than there had been in 1950, 1940, or 1930. Uh, but again, that was completely ignored. And so now we have the revolution in the criminal justice system. People say, no, if you have to put these new things in, there'll be more crime than before. They put them in. Uh, almost instantly, the declining crime rate turns around and heads up again. And they say, no, it's simplistic to blame this on, on this. There are the root causes and the neglect of society and all the rest of it. So it's heads I win, tails you lose. That's the brilliant Professor Thomas Sowell speaking in 1995 to the American Enterprise Institute's TV show Think Tank with Ben Wattenberg. And the link to that entire interview is in our program notes 
as always, it's 25 minutes all up. Well, it's time for our comedy section and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's it. That's, that's our joke of the week. But seriously, folks, if you've never heard of her, Alexandria, or AOC as she prefers to be known, is the brainchild of the American Democratic Party's left-wing Justice Democrats faction. And back in 2018, they got her elected to Congress for New York District's 14, which includes the Bronx and Queens. And she is as woke as wokey-woke. But she is hugely popular with the kidlets and the left. She's their hero. And don't you dare criticize her or you're a racist, sexist, anti-millennial, blah, blah. You know the drill. So it came as a big shock to everyone when it was revealed that a video she posted on social media recounting her terrifying moments during the seizure of the Capitol building on January 6th was mostly a massive victim beat up. It was a bit like Jussie Smollett, the star of the TV show Empire, who staged a fake hate crime assault against himself to get publicity. This led to the hashtag Alexandria Ocasio Smollett trending on Twitter last week. Gotta love Twitter. Conservative millennial YouTuber and comedian Stephen Crowder pointed out all of this on his show Louder with Crowder this week. He pointed out that AOC was in her office in the Cannon building, part of the Capitol complex, but half a mile away from the main building where the protesters had broken in. We watched her entire 90 minute video on Instagram, oh, pain. which, um, Oh you my can't, gosh. I just, uh, I will say it's, it's, it's sad. The reason that AOC makes these things up, the reason that she's a public drama queen, we'll, we'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. I actually think it's kind of sad. I really do yeah. genuinely have empathy for, I think. This was her <laughs> initially claiming that people, people, domestic terrorists, breached her office. And then I just start to hear these yells of, where is she? Where is she? This is Trump country. And <laughs> I just thought to myself, they got inside. One twenty-two p.m., the Cannon Building received an evacuation notice, okay, due to executing internal relocation uh, due to poli police activity. This is, a, this is a quote here. Then at one thirty-nine p.m., the D.C. police issued this alert. If you are in the Cannon Building, take visitors, escape hoods, and go kits, and report to the South Tunnel connecting to the Longworth. Further information will be provided as it becomes available. At one forty-four p.m., Nancy Mace tweeted, just evacuated my office in Cannon, the Cannon Building, right. which is where she was, which is where there right. were no other people. Okay. Pretty far away. in the Longworth. Just evacuated my office in Cannon due to a nearby threat. Now we're seeing protesters assaulting the Capitol building. So before 1.44 p.m., Nancy found time to get settled, read her Twitter feed, and find a video to retweet. At 1.47 p.m., the D.C. police announced that the evacuation was all clear. Okay? She would have been completely evacuated and underground. Right? That's when she would have been underground yeah. when okay. she's talking about this 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 insurrection happening where she was there hiding okay there's no possible way look at the timeline yeah here. she was gone where she'd she already is. been evacuated at that point all right. so she's still full of crap. Are, you, are you guys following i me? am following you yeah no i'm just i'm surprised and shocked she's, yeah that's exactly where yeah I'm at. she then said where when she reached she? the longworth building this is a little she she could hear hinges cracking to trump mob yelling trying to break in um and then when she saw katie porter the uh, congressman Moo Moo, yeah. um <laughs> She asked if she could shelter with her, shelter together, and yeah. uh, that was confirmed. And we have no specific location to go to. We're in the hallway. We're it's in the like, up to like right. the Dunkin' yeah, yeah. Donuts of the basement. And so she could not have been there hallway, at this time. The yells of these I just people gave you the timeline. Trying yeah. to break into the building that we're in. It, it almost felt like 
a zombie movie or something. And then we hear like other Capitol Police trying to protect the building, barking back at these people. And it just feels like it's just a matter of seconds when, um, when these doors are gonna break through and they're gonna get it. I, I hear like, like the hinges cracking. Okay, yeah, here's the thing. That was, again, at 1.47, she would have already been evacuated yeah. according to her own words and yeah. according to the documents that we have. There, She could have heard no hinges cracking. This is what I'm talking about. It's not that she, look, if she were to say it was really scary and we yeah. were evacuated and it was a blur, she is making up verifiable lies that could not possibly be true. And this is the problem with the media Big tech and this administration, they feel as though no one is going to call them on it. Uh, and we have a map, I think, too. This is something else that is pretty important. Oh, yeah, look at that. I'm a map. <laughs> Shows exactly where the riots were taking place. Notice the rioters nowhere near AOC headquarters <laughs> location. There's a but street yeah. across the street. Even put a little, there's the, the mall. There's basically the equivalent to a park. And Bruce Christ is between her and <laughs> yeah, the riders. Somewhere between if there. You've watched our change my mind. It's like saying you were in Montana during 9/11. You're like, I almost died. I know. <laughs> so then she pivoted, and now she's saying that uh, the pipe bombs. She's like, well, actually, look, this is this is a manipulation. Keep that up so I can read it. They're manipulating the fact that most people don't know the layout of the complex. I just showed you the layout. We are all in the Capitol <laughs> complex. The attack wasn't just on the dome. I don't know what you're talking about. The bombs Trump supporters planted surrounded our offices too. Okay, here are some factual and they haven't found the people who planted the bombs. We don't have any evidence. What we do have is two bombs. They did find two bombs, none of which were anywhere near AOC. So even <laughs> oh. her now doubling back. Well, actually, yeah. okay, look, it was the door hinges cracking, and I we had to hide in a porta potty. You were underground. It didn't happen. I could have been though. <laughs> And then I was in the other building, and then, but then I could have been in this building, and it was, it was pretty scary. And then, and you're forgetting, what about the pipe bombs? Well, the pipe bombs weren't anywhere near you. They could have been, though. And that was Stephen Crowder on his very irreverent show, Louder with Crowder. Stephen hasn't been well, so it's good to see him back for 2021. Okay, so I admit, I snuck in a news bit in our comedy section, so I apologize. So just to make sure you get a real laugh before we finish today, Aussie video and music artist, The Real Rushkan, put this tribute to Dan Andrews together this week and uploaded it on his YouTube and uh, Twitter sites. Enjoy. We are declaring a state of emergency in Victoria under the Public Health and Wellbeing Act. That state of emergency will be effective from 12 noon uh, today and will run for four weeks. For four weeks. This is about, as everything we're doing, is about flattening the curve. Flattening, flattening the, curve. the curve. If we can flatten that curve, then we can prevent our health system essentially being overrun by critically ill patients. Uh, it is an offence under the Public Health and Wellbeing Act to not comply with the orders that have been made. First of all, uh, I can inform you and all Victorians that I have extended the state of emergency that currently runs across our state for a further four weeks. Basically, those powers, as you know, uh, mean that authorities can uh, enforce uh, and make sure that our strategy is in place right across the state, uh, a strategy that I again remind everyone is working. I've just signed paperwork to extend the state of emergency. Uh, that's a four, That's simply a four-week uh, extension. No one should read anything more into that. So we try to do these things in four-week blocks. That's the most appropriate way to go. This comes um, from detailed public health uh, advice 
And a state of emergency powers will be extended to manage the return of hotel quarantine from Monday. Victoria has now had five weeks of zero COVID cases. Uh, and there will be a time when we do not need to extend these things. Um, and I look forward to that day. He's pushing to extend Victoria's state of emergency for another nine months. Uh, we will put a bill into the parliament today to extend the state of uh, emergency in recognition that this is far from over. Uh, we need to extend that state of emergency and we will extend it until the 15th of uh, December. That's the bill that will go into the parliament. Uh, what we know is that both the vaccines that are being used, there's still some doubt about uh, whether they will protect against infection and the transmission of this virus. Uh, again, all the rules are based on public health advice uh, and if there was, uh, it was safe to change those rules, modify those rules, not necessarily still be in a state of emergency that long, then of course we would follow the advice. This is about, as everything we're doing, is about flattening the curve. Flattening, flattening the curve. curve. Flattening, flattening the curve. curve. Flattening, flattening the curve. It's great stuff from the brilliant Real Rushkan on YouTube. You know where to find the link. And that's it for our show today, folks. Thanks for joining us. Remember to subscribe at discernible.io or Apple, Spotify, and the Good Source platform. And tell your friends about the show. Share, share, share if you want to support us. And we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, don't let the woke kids get you down.